0: Alright, Acts chapter 9, we're just going to really cover one verse tonight, Acts 9, 20. Um, I know that's a little bit weird, but I think it's a, uh, it's an intriguing thing that happens. And you know what? I really think we're living in a, in a bit of an interesting time in, in history uh, because it seems every day that there are news cycles that are presenting World-changing news. You know what I mean? Uh, like I, I just always think in those news cycles that people begin to predict, like the the impact that this earth-shattering, nation-altering news is going to bring forth. It is no doubt going to have implications in the future. We're going to look back on this day and see how it changed the world. Whether it's news about the president or the media itself, or so on and so forth. Everything these days is presenting as world-changing nation-altering news, and yet, I don't know about you, but there's really a sense of doubt in me that in a hundred years, anyone will ever remember anything that happens in 2019. You ever feel that way? (laughs) Right? Like, it's okay. We're going to get over this. Stop presenting it this way. And so, I say that because it's not so with dealing with the book of Acts chapter 9. Because I, I said this last week, and I really believe it, that Saul's conversion literally changed the world. The world is and will continue to be different until Jesus returns because of one man's conversion. Uh, commentators have, have noted that the source the germ, as they say, of all the changes in Saul that made him eventually Paul and the source that he would preach and teach and write came in three particular days when he was brought flat on his face before Christ. We saw that last week in Acts chapter 9. That time. Remember the story, he arose, he was baptized, and the source of everything Saul was came in those three days where he was blind and he was with the Lord in Damascus, just he and the Lord. Uh, And so, uh, how do we know that? Well, in Acts chapter 9, as I said, he's without sight for three days, and then remarkably in verse 20... After not three years of seminary training or a couple more years of graduate school, but as Luke says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, look what happens to Paul or Saul in Acts chapter 9, 20. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues saying he is the son of God. That's amazing, by the way, right? Here he is, he's coming to Damascus to see Christians brought to Jerusalem to be destroyed. The people in the synagogues, by the way, are the ones saying, yes, destroy them. And then three days, in three days, he's in the synagogues telling them, I had it all wrong. I had it all wrong. Jesus is the Christ. What happened in those three days? What happened is a window on everything that you read in all of the Pauline epistles and the New Testament. In fact, what happened in those three days is the essence, in my opinion, of New Testament Christianity, the influence that you even see before us today. And what I want to do with you tonight is deal, uh, number one, with, with what happened in those three days. Just covering what is it that happened in those three days. Number two how did that change Saul's views? Because you remember Saul had what would seem to be a tremendously incombustible material knowledge of the Old Testament. And then something happens. Now he didn't gain more knowledge, but he looked at everything that happened in the Old Testament in a different way. And so we're going to consider what what happened in those three days and, and what changed in Saul? How was he changed? And then number three, how did that change drive Saul? How did that drive Saul? We're going to learn about in the rest of the book of Acts. And, and why do we need to look at what drove Saul? Well, because it ought to be the same thing that drives us, right? Right? <clears throat> These things ought to compel you as you seek to represent Christ, to speak of him and call others to believe in him as well. So let's begin this series or this study tonight on three days that changed the world. So let's start off. What happened in Acts 9? Well, we know in the whole story that Saul was stuck in his tracks and immediately God converted him. He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And we saw from uh, Paul's testimony now in Acts 22 and 26, get used to that all night. It's going to be Saul, Paul, they're the same person, okay? Whether I say one or the other, actually... They're not, that's kind of the point, but I'm still gonna interchange those names, so get used to it. We saw in Paul's testimony in Acts 22 and Acts 26 that immediately after he's converted, and Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Saul responds with, Lord, what do you want me to do? That, that, is, that is changing around. He goes from persecuting the Lord to, Lord, what would you have me do? What do you want me to do? And he's converted. He's converted. We know that happens because he's baptized and then he ministers his three days without sight and either eating or drinking. Now, you, you get a little window in the text about what happens here. In, in verse 12 of Acts chapter 9, there's a vision. We know that Paul, rece- Saul received of a man named Ananias coming in, laying hands on him that he might receive his sight. We know also that Saul was praying. We know that. And remember, that doesn't always mean he's just talking to the Lord, but he's actually communicating with God. He's communing with him. And so we get a little window of that. But I really think that that Paul lays out for us what exactly happened in those three days in Galatians chapter 1. So turn with me there, if you will. Just turn to the right. Acts, Romans, the Corinthians... Which, by the way, teaching Addie Rue, our Bible verse this month is going to be fun with that Corinthians. She's, going to, she's having a time trying to say that word. We're just stuck on the reference right now, trying to get that down. Um, but it's super cute. Galatians chapter 1, and in verses 11 through 17, I think we get a window into what exactly happened with Paul in those three days. Galatians 1 11. Everybody there? All right. It says, for I would have you know, Paul saying this, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. That is the gospel, by the way, that he began to preach in verse 20 those, uh, those three days that um, after those three days that immediately he was preaching in the synagogues. That gospel that was preached by me at the end of that time, and I now preach, Paul says, isn't according to man. So Ananias didn't come to tell him about Jesus. he did, but that's not where he got his gospel. Peter and John didn't do what they did with the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8 and make a special trip to come to Paul that he might receive the spirit of God. No. It wasn't a mere man that spoke to him, verse 12, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You know this reminds me of I really believe this in the same way that the disciples on the road to Emmaus you remember what happened on the road to Emmaus what happened on the road to Emmaus they didn't recognize Jesus Jesus approached the disciples and then what did Jesus begin to do explained the scripture, starting with the law and the prophets. He explained to them, exposited to them the things concerning himself. I really believe that what we saw in the road to Emmaus is exactly what happened in those three days with Paul, that Jesus made a special revelation to Paul. He approached him and he made himself known. And in three days, Jesus says, Saul, let me tell you about myself. I want to tell you who I am. What I did to fulfill the scriptures and what you're going to do right now. It came not from man, but from the God-man, Jesus Christ. He says in verse 13 of Galatians 1, For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism. How I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Notice that. We talked about that last week, right? The Israel of God is zealous for God. Judaism is zealous for it's traditions. There's a difference. Verse 15. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb, because I'm, I'm life in the womb, I'm not just a matter of cells. let me add, and called me. Through his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not get this immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. See, there's a view here, and and a lot of people hold, that Saul, when it says that Saul went to Damascus, he got a really good seminary training for all those years, and then after he graduated uh, from this Jesus Christ seminary in Arabia, at the time of meditation, then he came back to minister. But that's not what it says. He was already preaching. It says immediately he began preaching. He went to Gentiles in Arabia to preach. He came back to Damascus, a predominantly Gentile area, and then again went to the Jews. The germ of all that he would preach had already been given to him in those three days. I love it. Jesus kind of like, Saul, you're blind, right? You don't have much to do right now, so you're in a good position to listen. So how about I start in Genesis and I work my way to Malachi. Here I am. Let me tell you how I fulfill all of the scriptures. And then he began his ministry immediately in Acts chapter 9, verse 20. He's marked out with a sign of baptism, he arises, he has his sins forgiven, he's baptized, he's calling on the name of the Lord, immediately he goes to the synagogues and he surprises them all, because he's preaching the Messiah in the synagogues, that he is Jesus and he is the Son of God. See, Saul has the whole Old Testament opened, and with the most profound theology, he is showing how Christ is the sum and the substance of all that's there in the Old Testament, That impacted Saul. It did. One writer said this about him. He said, his whole theology is nothing but the explication of his own conversion. What the Lord worked in Saul and taught him is what he preached. Another said, Paul's Damascus Road experience contains within itself the totality of its apostolic message. Say, so what on the earth does that mean? Well, I think we probably should move on to second place now. We saw what happened in those three days, but let's see this. How did, how did Saul's view change from what encountered with him and God in those three days, from him and Christ in those three particular days? Remember, this Saul was a Pharisee, which as a Pharisee he, means he memorized what? scripture, pretty much all the Old Testament. If you were, And he says, I'm a Pharisee, a Pharisee. I bested my countrymen. So Saul probably knows the Old Testament more than anybody that might be on the earth at this time, right? So he's an Old Testament scholar growing in Judaism beyond his countrymen. Jesus comes and says, Saul, you better change your way of thinking. Here's how you're supposed to understand the Old Testament. How would that have sparked a change? Well, Number one in this is is he would have had a whole new view of history. Saul would have had a whole entirely new view of history because he recognizes that history is not moving forward to the coming of a king who is going to reign over Rome and make Israel to be a very special oasis in the earth. That's not what history is moving towards. All of history is moving to the point in which Christ would be born in the fullness of time. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says this, right? But when the fullness of time came, when it was full to the brim of everything that was supposed to happen before Christ came, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law. Why? So that he might redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. See, history at its center point in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in history is just that. That's what's at the center of all of history is Jesus coming to the earth. It's the first thing Paul would have learned. Christ in the Old Testament, there's promise. In the New Testament, there's fulfillment of that promise. So we look at Christ himself. The second thing that would have changed and changed drastically would be his whole view of Christ. Christ. Not only would Paul's view of history be changed, his view of Christ would be changed. I grew up in Judaism and have advanced far more than my countrymen. Why did he say that? Because if you're a pure Jew, according to tradition of the fathers, you you are zealous for the temple, remember? You're zealous for the law. And Jesus is the one who said, what about the temple? Destroy this temple and in three days... I'll raise it back up. And Jesus said, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, which in Judaism's eyes is I didn't hear anything but abolish the law, right? And so they, they saw Jesus in this way. And we know surely, according to the, the Judaizers or the, the, the Jews at that time, that they saw him as an evil man because he was crucified. And what does the Bible say about those who hang on a tree? Curse. They're cursed, exactly. So, how would Saul have been changed? He would recognize that Judaism had it all wrong. In their zeal, they blew it completely, as Saul was too. Because while Saul may not have been present at the crucifixion of Christ, we don't really know one way or another if he was. He was present at the martyrdom of Stephen. He gave, uh, Stephen gave his testimony to Christ, who, who sought to present to the Jewish leaders the fact that we saw that the temple and Torah can't save you. And Saul consented to his death. But he realizes this now. Oh man, Stephen was right. Can you imagine this? He's encountering the Jesus that Stephen looked up and said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And Saul is now under the realization that the man at whom they laid their garments at his feet in approval of his stoning to death was right all along. That, that's a change of views, right? To I, I, see, I see blasphemy, and so I want to kill. And to the fact that, okay, this guy that I killed, can you imagine the guilt that's over Saul at this point? This is why he's able to write some of the things he does in Romans about justification and, and, and the declaration of his righteousness not being in his own. I love this. And not only that, but you remember when, when, Stephen, when Stephen's being martyred, remember what he says? Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And what did God do? He answered his prayer. And I love that. He said, I'm not going to hold this sin against Saul. It's not going to be against Saul's charge. Instead, I'm going to convert him. What a faithful God. Saul's whole view of Christ had changed. Stephen was right. Jesus is the Christ. He was raised from the dead. Romans 1 4, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. You know who wrote Romans 1 4? Paul did, that's right. The whole work of the Old Testament points forward in the holiness of God to sending this one Christ. He has all power in heaven and on earth, and and Stephen was absolutely right. So his whole view of Christ is utterly transformed. So what do we have so far? His whole view of history is transformed. His whole view of Christ is transformed. And listen, folks, that's true whether you like it or not, right? That's what makes unbelief so horrible. You say, I just... Don't believe that Jesus stuff. Well, you may not want to, but Jesus is king regardless. He's got all authority in heaven on earth. He has authority even over you, and you will either bow to him as savior and Lord, or you'll confess him as judge. He is the Messiah, and he is alive. His whole view of history in Christ has changed. Third, his whole view of salvation has changed. You see, if you're a Jew, what's your savior? Law is your savior, absolutely. I'm gonna keep the law, I'm gonna obey the law. However God is going to bless me, it's gonna come to me, that blessing, by the keeping of the law, even though it's contradictory. If I'm gonna receive mercy, it's gonna be because of the law, but that's not mercy, that's wage. Law is that which is going to bring blessing unto me. Pharisee of the Pharisees, But remember what that does. If it's by law that you're going to be blessed, what do you not need? Grace, which means you certainly would never need Jesus. You certainly would never need a cross. You don't need a bloody cross where the wrath of God is poured out for the breaking of the law. See, I think Paul was recognizing his own sin at this point. He learned that it was not by law, but by Christ that we're declared righteous. In fact, turn over to Romans chapter 10, verses 1 and 4. Just a couple chapters over, or a couple books over, not too far. In Romans chapter 10, Paul was actually speaking to his countrymen. And look what he says. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, his countrymen, is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God. Paul would even say that the Jews have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Why? Why would they not have zeal according to knowledge? Because, verse 3 for not knowing about what? God's righteousness. Brothers and sisters, that's the gospel, right? God provides perfect righteousness in himself, the God-man, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own because you're either, by the way, going to do one or the other. You're either going to have the righteousness of God in Christ or you're going to say, I'm really not that bad. I've really done some good things. The Lord is going to overlook all the bad stuff because look how great I've been. Seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Why? Verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. If you've never circled Romans 10:4 in your Bible, that's a good verse to, to circle right there. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. In the fullness of time, Israel was told not to go any further with the law of righteousness because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So that means I stop now at all my futile attempts at self-righteousness and the only way I go past the stop sign is going to be through Christ. In Jesus is a righteousness that, that a gazillion miles of seeking to be obedient to the law could never accomplish. It is the end of law, righteousness, of justification, excuse me, that was the fried chicken coming up. Um, I, should just, I should just step off right now, shouldn't I? All right, look, notice this, because this is what this is, it's justification, it's the doctrine of justification. Declared righteous through faith in Christ. Is atonement yours? Is righteousness yours? As far as you are concerned, that is law-free. It's law-free atonement. It's law-free righteousness. It has nothing to do with your keeping the law. Only as it says here, for everyone who believes Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. It was by faith alone that he was justified. That is what it is to be a believer. Paul realized that this is a gift. Paul was now an apostle with a heart set free. He now recognizes, how can I be righteous? How can I do it all right? How can I not blow it? Maybe God will accept me? No, it's about the gift of grace received by faith alone. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I claim. Naked, come to thee for dress. Help us look to thee for grace. His whole view of salvation has changed. Not only that, let's keep moving forward. His whole view of the church changed. Paul's whole view of the church changed. We know that for a fact, right? Because here he is persecuting the church and Jesus says, Saul, so why are you persecuting me? Because those who follow the Israel of God, those are the true Israel, Those who follow Christ the Messiah. That amazing treatment that Paul understands as he writes in his letters continually about union with Christ to the saints who are in Christ Jesus at dot, dot, dot. The church is in union with Christ. Do you recognize that? You know that, right? If you belong to the church of God, you are in union, you are united with Christ. Christ. That's why we are a special people. And, and, and Paul had to understand this. It's not just Jews, it's Gentiles. that God would set him apart and send him to the Gentiles. That's an amazing thing for Saul. Saul, of all people, is the one God will send to the Gentiles. Those, the filthy ones? The unclean? God says, they're part of the church. Completely transformed his view. Saul learned that lesson. That the nationalism of the Jew was transformed into the transnationalism for the Christian Church. Saul so, as well it would have been transformed in what theologians call that big word eschatology. Eschatology, E S C H A T O L O G Y. There you go. It's close enough. Want to know? You know what that means, right? The study of the last time, study of end times, study of the last things. He would have been transformed in this way. Let me tell you how. Because in the Old Testament, you have those prophecies of a kingdom that's going to come. And it's going to bring salvation and blessing. It's gonna bring condemnation of the wicked, and it's gonna bring in a new heavens and a new earth uh, where where it's not gonna be under the curse and things like wolves eating lambs is going to happen. There's gonna be no such thing as snake bites or any of that. All that's gonna be done away with. That's coming in the new heavens and new earth. But in principle, get this, in principle, those blessings of redemption have come into the earth. That's what the New Testament teaches, particularly Paul because Paul is going to write in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, after speaking of our fathers, he says, now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. When, when Jesus came into his ministry in his kingdom, he inaugurated those things of eternity and brought them in as what we've been calling throughout this study, views of coming attractions you remember that what do I mean by that well let's just look at an example okay let's think about the idea that there is a real kingdom of God right now you know that it exists right now in fact look at 2 second Timothy chapter one a little bit farther to the right just get to the t's it's the second to last t if you hit Titus you're too far if you hit first Timothy well you hopefully should know to go a little bit further 2 Timothy 1, chapter, chapter 1, verses 8 and 11. Paul says this to Timothy. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Verse 9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Verse 10, but now has been revealed by what? By the ...hearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, verse 11, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and a teacher. Wait, did you catch that? What did he say was abolished? Death? Death is abolished? How? Well, it's abolished now because when a believer dies, he dies in Christ, Then when physical death comes, while the body may go into the grave, the spirit goes, as we know, into the presence of the Lord Jesus immediately. And then on that last day, right, when Jesus comes back, the fullness of the meaning of that will come from the resurrection of the dead. The souls and the bodies of the children of God are going to be united together, made perfect, brought into a place where there is no more death. See, it's in principle, it's inaugurated in history and fulfilled in time. That's why we can say today that I have everlasting life. In principle, all the blessings of eternity are in you, those who you believe. That's what makes this this day so glorious because it's, it's people who are made partakers by faith of the glory to come in principle. So, finally, in the third place, our third question we're going to answer, we looked at the idea of what happened those three days, how did it change Saul, and it changed Saul through history, his view on Christ, his view on the church, his view on salvation, his view on eschatology. Finally, we're going to look at this idea in the third place. As we come to the end, how did that drive and motivate Saul? I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Isaiah just real quick, this last point. Isaiah chapter 40, when you get there, in verse 9. Remember, Saul's preaching. He's preaching immediately. And what is Saul preaching? His own letters? Mm. Hmm. Haven't been written yet. What's he preaching? He's likely doing what What Jesus did on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus did in those three days, and and preaching from the Old Testament scriptures, all the things concerning Christ. And so consider this. uh, Saul's preaching the Old Testament, but now the Old Testament opens up, and Jesus comes. He he says all these things Behold, I bring you good tidings, a great joy, which will bring to all the people. It's what Jesus said. So Saul would have learned, as Jesus taught him, these words in Isaiah 49 through 11 Get yourself up on a high mountain. O Zion, bearer of good news, literally the Old Testament translated, bearer of gospel. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. How will he rule as this good shepherd, you say? He's going to feed his sheep. That's the church. Look, it says, like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. Proclaim of this one who rules the shepherd to follow. And how far does this call go? Turn a couple pages over to Isaiah 52. Hopefully, a text you might recognize. I'm out of water. Oh, I got some more here. Isaiah 52, 9 and 10. It says, how lovely are the, I'm sorry, start in verse seven. How lovely are the mountains, are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. Go down to verse nine. Break forth, Shout joyfully together, you waste places of Jerusalem! For the Lord has comforted his people; he has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. You know, we talk about this a lot. People think the Great Commission is a New Testament command only. It started in Matthew twenty-eight. After. No, it's always been around. This was always the idea that all the nations of the Lord would. Acknowledge acknowledge him as salva- the one, as the Savior. He so says, Saul, now you're going to be the guy who proclaims it to the world. You're going to go and you're going to proclaim peace. And so what does Saul do? You remember that text in Corinthians? He says, he's, it's God who sent us forth as ambassadors on behalf of Christ. I'm trying to paraphrase here for time's sake. He says, we beg you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God, have peace with God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Paul, you are going to go to all the nations and say what you've done in ignorance, God will overlook as you turn to him by faith. He has appointed a man who will one day judge the world, and that one is the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls you to repent, but he's the Savior. He's the Lord. And you know what I love is Paul gets that motivation of God's call in this life, and you know what the entire rest of the book of Acts is about? Saul living out what he learned in those three days. Saul taking the call of God to be a a gospel bearer to the Gentiles and going and doing just that. And in that, they literally changed the world. Friends, you get the, the, the importance of this. We would not be here had Saul not been converted and gone to the Gentile nations with the gospel. We would not be here. They literally changed the world. And so I want to ask you, because this, this conversion is not just for Saul. It's special in time as one conversion, but it's something that all of us encounter. We all should have had been born witness of what the, the testimony of Scripture say. We all should have had our views changed by the gospel. And we all received this call to now bring it for the nation. So let me ask, have you been changed in that way? How has your time with the Lord changed you? I think of the hymn of Charles Wesley described that experience that Saul must have had in those days better than I could ever describe it. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night, thine eye diffused a quickening ray, I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love, how can it be that thou my God should die for me? Has it changed you in that way? Have you embraced the freedom in knowing Christ, been motivated to, to go all to the world for Jesus' sake? I pray that you have. pray that you have. Any questions about anything we've gone over in the text tonight? Lots of stuff tonight. Any questions at all? None? It's hard to have a lot of questions on one verse, huh? I'm thankful that Saul was obedient too. We always get in those questions too. You ever get this? Like, okay, what happens if Saul wasn't obedient, right? The what ifs of the scripture? It's, it's just a dead end. Don't do those things, all right? I'm sorry I even brought it up. Uh, it, because it didn't. <laughs> it's like Elijah when Elijah says, you know, I, I'm here, I'm the one that's been faithful and and then God's like, I've kept up all these other people. <laughs> yeah. It's not about you. Right, right, absolutely. And I love how Saul knew that. Like Paul, Apostle Paul knows that he was, he was nothing, that God brought him humility. Because you imagine those three, those three days, the, the amount of humility that had to be experienced by Saul. I mean, just bear with me. Who likes being told they're wrong about their views? You can be honest. Anybody? No, and so think about this. You've devoted your life to all of these views about salvation, church, Christ, all of these things, history, purpose, eschatology, and they're all changed in three days, and I mean not just, not just altered, but like no, all those things that you thought were wrong and dumb, and these are the good things that are right changed. That, that would require some humility, wouldn't it? Saul had to encounter all of this and that's what the gospel brings. And I think that's important for us to remember as we think about our own lives and our own salvation that the gospel brings the humility of change. When when you're, so let me ask you this. When you're addressed by the word of God and maybe some views you've held to that are unbiblical, what is your natural response? Humility that leads to change or this is the way I've always believed. This is what it's been. I won't move. Because what did Paul say? Paul in Galatians said, they're serving the ancient traditions. I held to these ancient traditions. There was a problem with most of those ancient traditions. You know what they were? Wrong. They were wrong, they were law, and most of them weren't even in the scriptures. Oh, how God might need to protect us from these same things, Amen. That he would line us with his word for our his glory, Amen. Yeah. So, his conversion did it happen the instant he saw Christ? I think it happened. Uh, I'm not sure the particular time it happened. I think I think in Paul's version of the story, when he responds, "What must I do, Lord?" and the scales fell off, it happens that that time. I think when the scales, as we looked at that last week, of opposed self-righteousness are off. I think he's converted in the desert. God saves him, and then God comes to instruct him of all those things. Maybe you've had a conversion experience like that where you just knew a couple things. You knew that you were in the presence of Christ, you stood before him guilty, and he was God, and you needed him, right? You needed him for, for everything. And then after that, when somebody walks through and says, here's what the gospel is, here's how it is corrected, your views are need to be corrected, here's how we instruct these things, discipleship, so on, afterwards, I think Paul was converted in the desert, uh, but but I think a lot of times we always do look at conversion at one particular instance. And, and remember, God's outside of time. He converts somebody. This is why we use the language from before they in their mother's womb until God saves them as a whole. And he works in time. And so he, he was converted and that's what's important, you know. So I think sometimes we get caught up on instances, moments, right? As opposed to saying that, okay, has God saved you? Yes. Well, then God saved you. Amen. Yeah. All right, let's pray together, guys, and we'll, we'll get back to it next week. Father, we thank you for your word and your, your goodness and, Lord, how you worked in history, Lord, how you consistently revealed to us uh, your goodness and grace through your word. So, Lord, we thank you for the little bit of insight you give us those three days. And uh, the Apostle Paul's life where you have called him and set him apart and sent him to the Gentile world. And Lord, we can look at that and just say, well, yeah, that was just, that was just for the Apostle Saul. Well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not supposed to really share the gospel in that way. And yet, Lord, I think you're giving us an example of somebody who's not divine in any way. Lord, that is just a man who is sinful and who was saved by the grace of God. And yet somebody who... Lit up the world with the gospel of grace. Father, forgive us for thinking you're not powerful enough to do that in us and help us and encourage us that we might be a light to all the nations and all the world's sake. That The gospel of grace might go forth, sinners might be redeemed and saved unto your glory. Lord, help us this way as we think about this this week, as we encounter this in our day-to-day lives. Strengthen and encourage us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.